Ephesians 4.25. Mark Twain said that the two, two most important days of your life, the two most important days of your life, is the, one is the day that you were born, and the other is the, the day that you figure out why. And um, if you're here this morning, you're exploring Christianity, perhaps, truly so excited that you would you know, come to church and consider more the, our, the Christian faith. Um, what I would re- recommend is it would be wonderful if you read the entire chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians, because Ephesians 4 gives the picture of the type of person God wants to turn you into. Um, this is the person he wants you to become. The old way of life before we come to Christ Paul speaks of it, as Brian said last week, in very negative terms, that the language that he uses is darkness and um, ignorance and impurity. But the, the thing what God wants for us is light, life, and truth. So, yeah, please read through Ephesians 4 in, in some detail. And then I would say to those of us who have been Christians for a long time, today's topic, as you can see here, the goodness and the badness of anger. You already know a lot about anger. You've probably heard many sermons about anger. I've preached several of those sermons on anger. What I, my attitude is I don't have to give you this exhaustive, comprehensive uh, discourse about anger because you already know a lot of your, about your own. Pretty much every ethical system out there, be it Confucian, Buddhist, Hindu, everybody has something to say about anger. Usually the things they say are very helpful and today we're going to discuss Christianity's unique contributions to, uh, to how we are to understand our anger. Um, but I don't have to say everything. And you ought to remember, remember this, that the, most, the really important lessons in life are not the ones that we learn and perfectly retain. The really important lessons in life are the ones that we learn and forget and have to relearn and probably forget again and have to relearn again. And, and I, I see a passage on anger as another opportunity for you to relearn the things that you've forgotten and to strengthen the things that you know. So with that in mind, let's read verse 25 and following. Therefore, <clears throat> each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. The verb there, for those of you um, who are into Greek, it's in the imperative tense. And normally, the way we interpret or translate imperatives, imperatives are commands. So some of your translations, they, they say, be angry and do not sin. That's the most literal tra- Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. And he goes on, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according, according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, 
and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Some people think that if you're a Christian, you must never, ever, ever get angry. Some people break our emotional spectrum down into two categories. There are good emotions and bad emotions, and anger is definitely one of those bad emotions. We think of anger almost entirely in a negative sense. And psychologists give us coping strategies, simple coping strategies to deal with our anger. So sometimes you've heard people say, if you're really angry, punch a pillow, and that'll release the tension. If you're really angry, exercise, uh, deep breathing exercises, suppress your anger, control your anger, which is what they said in the first century. In Paul's day, there were two major schools of philosophy, Greek philosophy, the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics would say that in order to be a, a real man, you must suppress your anger, control your passions, uh, keep your, your passions you know, pressed down and keep a stiff upper lip. That's what we associate with Stoicism. Then the Epicureans would say that if you, if you find yourself feeling angry, if somebody makes you angry, then change your environment. Get around somebody who doesn't. Change your situation. Find the path which maximizes pleasure. Epicureanism is all about um, going all in for pleasure. Where would you start the discussion with about anger? I, I think it's critical for us as Christians to start any discussion about anger by acknowledging its basic goodness. Anger is, is basically a good thing. Not only is it, a, is it a good thing, the Bible tells us there are situations in which it is absolutely wrong for us not to be mad because we live in an infuriating world. Happy land is just one such example of the, the infuriating awfulness of this world. How can, we, how can we look at the desperate poverty in this place and not feel angry? You may never have heard this before from a pulpit, but you have a duty to be angry. And some of us, we're not half as angry, we're not nearly as angry as we ought to be. Maybe you consider it in these terms, but you probably haven't. That anger in its essence, anger is, anger is destructive energy. Or right away you think, well, that must be bad. No, it, it is destructive energy. And the most angry person in all of the Bible is who? It's God. It's destructive. It is energy that is used to, to destroy what is, what is bad and to defend that which is good. Another way that I've termed it before, anger is the ultimate no. Anger is no, 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 back off. You know, unlike the other emotions that we experience in this life, unlike joy, unlike fear, unlike sorrow, anger is an emotion that is built to destroy things to tear down bad things, especially to tear down that which is unjust and wrong. And that's why it's good. We've said, I said you know, God gets good and angry, often in the Bible. And his anger is a function of his holiness. You know, here's a, a helpful exercise. Have you ever read through the Gospels before and kind of charted Jesus' own emotional life? And look particularly at what is it in the Gospels that makes Jesus angry. 
you could go through and, and see every instance where Jesus Christ is, is mad as hell. And it's a very good exercise. I mean, the one that stands out most to me is on the Sabbath morning when he, he wants to heal the woman with the crippled, paralyzed hand. And the religious authorities are, are complaining about, oh, you're going to heal on the Sabbath. And it says that he is furious at them. Because they're more concerned about whether or not I'm healing on the Sabbath than the healing of this, of this crippled woman. Um, when, it, when he goes into the temple and he overturns the tables of the moneylenders, he's mad as can be that God's worship is being profaned as it is. He's mad as can be when he is outside the tomb of Lazarus. And it says that he, 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 uh, he fumes at death. So a very helpful exercise. Go through and chart what is it that makes Jesus angry, and then you do another chart. What is it that makes me angry? And and you see the disparity between the two lists. No, okay, I've spoken already about the goodness of anger, uh, and yet we feel guilty about our anger. A lot of us, we truly feel, we feel very guilty. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that maybe you shouldn't, that maybe it's right. C.S. Lewis uses this example. I'd never heard him or seen, read of him using this particular illustration. I came across it this week. And he says, okay, imagine when you take your dog on a walk. You put your dog on the leash, and and you're walking through your neighborhood. You're just going to go for a nice little walk to the park. You're going to go fetch the ball together. In the case of our dog, our Labrador Snickerdoodle, uh, Snickerdoodle is just going to pull you the whole way there. Uh, or at least she's going to pull Anya and, and Aaron and, and Kaya all the way there. She won't pull me because I'm the alpha dog. So I, she just stays right by my side. But for all the rest of okay, you're walking along. You have your dog on your leash. And the dog wants to go around the, the wrong side of the telephone pole. Or in Lewis's illustration, the dog wants to go around the, the wrong side of the turnstile. And, and, and the dog, he starts to do that. Maybe the dog sees a, a cat across the street, and he gets really wound up, and he goes, and he wraps himself around the, the telephone pole, and he begins to choke himself or herself to death. And this is what you want to say at that moment. You want to say, my dear dog, we share the same wish. Let's go forward. You know, let's go play in the park. Let's go chase the ball. I, I, I share the same wish with you, which is for you to be happy. Um, and yet you'll, you'll never, ever get it going that way. And in fact, the more committed I am to your happiness, the more I have to resist your resistance to the collar and to the leash. Because um, all you're going to do is choke yourself. Lewis goes in a different direction with with that illustration. But one of the most heartbreaking things that happens in our lives is when we watch the people who we love the most, they're the ones on the leash and they're the ones that are choking themselves to death. You should feel feel really angry about that. We've watched, you've watched, we've watched uh, our sons and our daughters just, that wrap themselves around the pole and, and their tongue is hanging out of their mouth as they choke themselves to death, thinking that they're, they're going to find happiness in the sex. They're going to find happiness in, in the booze. They're going to... 
And we've watched our fathers and our mothers wrap themselves around the pole. And sometimes, as you know, when a dog gets really excited, they'll not only wrap themselves, but they'll wrap you inside the leash up against the pole. And what I want to say, there's a few of you, and you know who you are, but what I want to say is you are right to be angry. You have my permission, as, as if you needed my permission. You have God's permission. Uh, because based on what you have, have seen and been through, you have every reason to, to be angry. Of course, not all anger, anger is godly. And it leads to the question, how do I know if the anger that I'm experiencing is the good kind or the evil kind? Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about for the second half of the sermon here. Here there's several indicators that our anger is not the righteous kind exhibited by Christ, but the anger that is distorted by sin. Paul gives us several indicators, beginning in verse 26, if you will look there with me. 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Or do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This little proverbial expression, which has has been really helpful for a lot of us. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you husbands and wives at the beginning of your marriage made a pact between between the two of you that we will never go to bed, we will never go to bed while still being angry at each other about something? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I guess I don't want you to raise your hands because that would be, <laughs> be a little awkward, but... But Aaron and I made that pact. Uh, we will never go to bed still being angry with each other. And I can tell you, there, were, there have been nights where I've gone downstairs and got on the couch to go to sleep. But in, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary here in August. And I've never slept on the couch in, in 20 years. I've gone down there. You know, I've, I've, I've been there at 1 o'clock in the morning but we, we have always gone and reconciled. There's a little piece of meriting, marital advice for those of you who are ever thinking about getting married if you're single. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Um, there's another positive way to put this. Do not let the sun go down on, on your anger. Or positive way of putting it is pursue reconciliation at the earliest possible moment. Pursue reconciliation. Sometimes we have a falling out with somebody, and then we go days or maybe weeks without pursuing any steps towards reconciliation. And we pretend like nothing is wrong. We pretend, uh, or we give them the silent treatment. The silent treatment is always because we've been angry. We are angry. Pursue reconciliation quickly. Or another positive way to put it is forgive at the earliest possible moment. Forgive at the earliest possible moment. Peter Kreef said that when we sin, we have those two options. We have the option of bring it out into the light and to confess it or the the cover-up. And he says there's never any peace down the road of the cover-up. Well, likewise, when we are sinned against, we have only two options as far as I can tell. There's two options. What are those two options? It's forgive it, forgive the sin, or become bitter. There's no other option. You will either forgive it, you will either write it off under the blood of Jesus Christ, or you will allow it to take root inside of you, to to fester, to to boil, 
Um, and it doesn't matter. As long as you think that they've sinned against you, even if they haven't sinned against you, as long as you feel offended, if you don't forgive that, you'll take that anger to bed with you at night, and the poison will get in your bloodstream. Um, the low-level anger we carry with us is usually the, the, it's, it's controlling us more than probably anything else in our lives. It's, it's blood poisoning. He says, don't, don't let it, don't go to bed with it. Don't go to bed with the bitterness. Uh, stop hitting rewind and play and rewind and play and playing over those conversations ag- again and again. Don't let it control you that way. Don't, don't nurse it. Don't play up how, how badly you've, you feel hurt by this. Don't nurse it. Forgive it. Pursue reconciliation. Just as God uh, has in Christ forgiven you. That's number, number one. Number two, beware. Okay, we've, uh, we've done this scenario before. I, some of you remember it. Some of you won't. You arrive at the airport with little time to spare, and you see the line snaking out from the ticketing counter, and you realize, oh, man, this is going to be a really tight connection. Um, hurry up, line. Come, <laughs> come on. Let's get through this. You, you finally make it up to the ticketing counter, and they weigh your bags, and they say, I'm sorry, ma'am, or I'm sorry, sir, but that will be $50. You know, your bag is two pounds overweight or three pounds overweight, and that's going to be $50. That's going to be $100. You know, when you flew out originally to the, on the first leg of your trip in the airport, you know that you were carrying less then than you are now, and they didn't give you any trouble then. Uh, how can $100? Your kids are fighting in the line behind you. So you plead your case. You, you say, this can't be, you know, it, uh, and the ticketing agent is completely inflexible. So what do you do at that moment? You ask for a supervisor. And by this point, your adrenal glands are pumping a gallon per minute. And, and you feel, I mean, that's what we, we have these physiological uh, experiences inside of us. Our blood pressure rises. Our, our adrenal glands are pumping strength-inducing hormones. It's surging all throughout our body. Your kids are still throwing a fit behind you in the line when the supervisor asks, how may I help you? And you say, here's how you may help me. And you just give it to them, you know, both barrels. Beware, because it works. Of all the emotions that we have, you can get more done through your anger than probably pretty much any, any other emotion that exists. It's amazing how persuasive we can be when we have that much adrenaline flowing through our system. It works. You know, the bags are loaded. You don't have to pay the fine. You make it to the gate on time. You're, you're there. You're a little flurried. Or, uh, you feel a little flush and all, um, but you've, you've, you've done it. And here's the question. Here's where it all goes to. How do you feel about your anger at that moment? How do you feel about your anger? Most likely, you feel perfectly justified. We feel perfectly justified. $100 is robbery. You know, I'm just I'm standing up for my rights. I'm standing up for what is right. We feel perfectly justified. 
We feel perfectly justified that the referee is not calling this game fairly. And that's a foul, you idiot. And every single time, um, beware, because, because it works. And yet, Paul changes the whole conversation. In verse 27, you look there with me. In 27, he says, what you don't realize is happening is you are giving the devil a foothold. Every time it works, every time it succeeds, you're giving the devil a foothold. The picture is somebody's climbing up a mountain. And as you're climbing, you want to find a firm place to put your foot. If you put your foot and all of your weight down on some craggly granite, you're, you're going to fall over and you may end up toppling back down the mountain. Now, you're looking for a steady place to foot your, put your foot. Now, we don't think of anger in those terms, but that's what Paul is saying, is that the, the devil, the Satan, he gets footholds where? Where does he get the foothold? He gets the foothold inside of us. He's putting footholds, you know, climbing paths inside of us. You know, all too often we dismiss anger as though it's something outside of us. Think about this. Most of the time, anger feels like it's caused by something outside of us, like other people who make us mad, or this flat tire, or all those stupid slow drivers that are they're keeping me from getting to work on time. Or they make me angry. My boss makes me so angry. My teenager, my roommate, the president, the whole government, Republicans, Democrats, they make me so mad. We think of it, we relate anger almost entirely to the external when Paul comes back and says, no, it is, it's internal. And not only is it internal, there's a spiritual foothold being placed inside of you by the Satan in order to, to climb further up and deeper in. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. I, I think it happens every time we, we go there. There are different elements of sinful anger, and I'll, you already know what these are. Um, getting angrier than we, we should when we allow our anger to be disproportionate to the offense. That's a case of sinful anger. Getting angry too easily, being quick to anger, which is the exact opposite. God is angry in the Bible, but what is he? He's always very slow to anger. He never goes zero to 60 in 4.3. Getting angry at the wrong things. More on that in a minute. But every time we do this, Paul says, there's a bigger spiritual a bigger spiritual issue that, that is going on. And I, the image that I've used with you before, it's kind of like sledding out here on the hillside at, at All Saints Presbyterian Church. When you have nice and fresh snow, the very first time you go down the hill in your sled, uh, you don't go all that quickly because the, the, the fresh snow is a resistance. But after you go down one time, then it creates a little concavity in the snow. And so the next time when you, when you go over that same path, you go faster. Well, what happens when you have done it four, five, six, seven times in a row? And you watch the little kids out here and they're... Because there's no resistance anymore. And, and that's what happens with our anger. Is you... And that's... Isn't that how the, the Satan begins to use it? 
to use it against us? Can you see how, can you see how the Satan has used your anger to further his purposes? Thirdly, okay, I need to keep going. The way that we deal with the devil is by removing the footholds. The way that we deal with the devil is by removing the footholds. Verse 31. Here's how we remove the footholds. He says, verse 31, look there with me. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage. Get rid of all anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as God is in Christ, forgiven you. I'll never forget the time when I was in seminary. Uh, For one of my classes, they required us to sit down with the counselor and have the counselor talk with us, uh, work us through whatever emotional issues that we had at that time. And I'll never forget sitting in the seminary, um, where was it? It was... It was the cafeteria, and I sat down with Cron Gibson, who was a, a um, counseling student, and I just began to unpack for him kind of how I was processing my mother's death and all of the things associated with my mother's death. And I don't, I, he just picked up on some trigger words. I can't even tell you what those trigger words were, but he heard these trigger words as I was describing it, and he he just called me on the carpet right then, and in a sensitive and a wise manner, but he said, Bro, you're, you're really angry at your mother. You're, you're really angry. I said, no, 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 I'm not angry. Yeah. Yeah, I was. One of the ways that we... So if the devil can establish footholds in our souls, I also believe the Holy Spirit can do away with footholds. I mean, if he can establish them, the Holy Spirit... And as the Spirit works among us, he can, he, can, he can tear them down. And one of the ways he does that is by helping us understand where our, that we are angry. Um, and that's what verse 31 stands out. You notice how the, the words Paul uses, they are anger all across the emotional spectrum, or the anger spectrum. There's bitterness, that low-level bitterness. He talks about that. But he also says, get rid of the rage inside of you, which would be all the way up here. Um, I love the fact that Paul can look at a church and say, you've got problems with rage. (laughs) That's a very bold thing to say, to point out. Um, And get rid of all brawling. I mean, can you He says that to a church, you brawlers. (laughs) But But he's kind of the counselor who is pointing it out. So, yeah, we need people who are able to point out these things to us. And then, secondly, we need to point it out to ourselves. We need to point it out to ourselves. Because most of the time that we are angry, we are angry because we do not get our way. We are ang- I wish that it was all tied up with noble desires. And <laughs> no, no, we're, just, we're angry because I didn't get my way. It's all tied up in my expectations of what I need and what I deserve and how my life should be going, and, and what I desire. This is what James says in James 4.1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires of battle within you? It's your desires. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel, quarrel and fight. It all has to do with my desiring and my not getting what it is that I desire. My desires... Our desires are disordered, so our our heart is disordered, 
disordered. So we end up using destructive force to protect the wrong things. Point it out to yourself. So here's a a simple exercise you can do. When you're sitting at the airport, um, at the gate in the the airport, and you've got your bags on, you didn't have to pay, pay the fee. At that moment, your anger feels perfectly justified. In fact, most of our anger feels perfectly justified. But if we go back and reassess it later, we, we can see just how petty and spiteful it is. One of the things you can do is with your journal, you can journal and write down, okay, here's when, when I got angry, and what, what was I angry about, and you rate each, inten- each anger episode for intensity on one to five, then you set your journal aside for seven to 14 days, and then you come back and you assess why was I so angry? And frequently, what you'll find is that your, your reactions, which seemed so perfectly justified and rational at the moment, look so petty and self-serving a week later. You see that you're desiring, you're desiring the wrong things. Beware the destruction. Beware the destruction. Anger is kind of like nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is, is wonderful when it's harnessed the right way. And... And when you have a reactor breach and a meltdown, it ends up poisoning and destroying everyone um, and everything around you. I think that's a very powerful, a very appropriate image, isn't it? Because anger isn't just a one-time thing, and we just all go on, and it's no big deal. Uh, our anger really has a radioactive fallout. It, it keeps poisoning other people. It keeps poisoning other, other relationships. Ed Welch, who was, I think, the director of the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, he he said, what what kind of, they asked him this question, what what kind of practical advice could you give to somebody who is prone to nuclear core reactor breaches? Every one of us have anger issues, but some of us have even greater propensity for that kind of meltdown. What, What do you tell the guy practically in the moment, in addition to, Put on the new self in Christ. Sometimes you need something even a little more practical than that. And he said, he gave this humorous but helpful suggestion. He said, the answer seems to be found in a good werewolf movie. Good werewolf. Somebody who knows their inner werewolf. What do they do about that? They duct tape themselves to a tree. If they know that the moon is is about to come or could come at any moment, they, they duct tape themselves to a tree. Or in the midst of their anger, they duct tape their mouth shut. They duct tape their legs. You cut out your tongue. You have, you have some kind of electrodes that people around you can push a button and, and it shocks you so severely that you fall to the ground and you're not able to speak. In other words, you just take the most dire precautions necessary in order to keep this from happening. I don't know. I thought that was a werewolf movie. <clears throat> well, let me conclude by just going back to the first point. When Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, who have you not forgiven? Who have you not forgiven? Where is, where is the bitterness? Would it, is it inside? Um, I mean, if we have been sinned against, then we do have a debt. The other person owes us a debt that, that we have to, to forgive. Matthew 18. If we have been forgiven such a ginormous debt by God, how, 
we've got to go and, and forgive these tiny little debts in comparison. I, I just don't want for any of us the malignant hatred and bitterness to, to stay there a single day more. Now, let's, don't let it go to bed with you tonight. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says again, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Do not let it go on for a single day or a single hour more. You may have to struggle with yourself to, to break free from it, but, but do not rest until you have settled it. You may have to argue with yourselves backwards and forwards. Well, have that argument. Go on, I say. Go on until you have realized the love of God in Christ for you. Go on until you have realized the love of God in Christ for you. You put on, the, you put on your new self. You fight against anger by realizing the love of God in Christ for you. You see the bleeding, dying Christ on the cross for your forgiveness so that you may forgive and so that you may have your anger healed.